Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the second Sunday after the Epiphany. This is January 15th, 2022. And for Epiphany 2, the Gospel reading for Sunday is John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. Now, remember, Epiphany is a season of Jesus making himself known. He's born in Bethlehem. We have a couple of stories about him in his youth. Um, A story when he's circumcised on the eighth day. A story when he's dedicated at the temple when he's 40 days old. We have one more story when he is 12 years old and and, uh, apparently gets lost in Jerusalem at the Passover. And after that, we don't know much about Jesus until he's about 30 years old. That's when his public ministry begins. That's when he makes himself known. And so last week, we heard of Jesus' baptism from the Gospel of Matthew. As God declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's the start of Jesus' public ministry. And throughout the season of Epiphany, it's it's such a joyful season of the church here between Christmas and Lent because we have various texts of Jesus making himself known either by performing miracles and, and healing people and the like, or by preaching good news that people rejoice to hear. And so we see in these gospel readings for these weeks, people watching Jesus, people listening to Jesus, and, and kind of wondering... Could this, in fact, be the Messiah we've been waiting for? Our text for this week, John chapter 129 to 42, is a great text for Epiphany. It follows right on the heels of Jesus' baptism, even though the Gospel of John does not explicitly record the baptism of Jesus. However, we'll find it um, referred to in the text for the day. Now, John chapter 1, of course, is a a fascinating book of the Bible, where the other Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, they're called Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all kind of begin with a reference to Jesus' birth and, and human origins, at least for a verse or two. John 1 begins with creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that through him all things were made. And then in John 1.14, we have that mind-blowing verse, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, the Gospel of John begins reminding us that Jesus was present at creation. And one of the themes of this gospel is that Jesus comes to to recreate, to restore creation to what it was supposed to be before the fall into sin and to make us new creations in him. So we have kind of that, I'd call it a, a cosmic prologue, as John reminds us of Jesus at creation. And then the narrative of Jesus' life begins in in verse 19. And in John chapter 1 and into the beginning of chapter 2, this narrative is divided into days. 
Just like Genesis 1, the story of creation is divided into days. So on the first day of John's narrative, this is John 1, 19 to 28, people are asking John the Baptist, a different John, they're asking John the Baptist if he is the Christ, or if he's Moses, or he's Elijah, and he says he's not the Christ, or Moses, or Elijah, but he says that he is um, the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. And when they persist, John goes on to tell them that while he is not the Christ, there is one who is in the crowd there at the Jordan River who is the Christ. So Jesus is there. The Messiah is standing in the crowd as people ask John if he's the Christ or not. Um, but, But people can't tell who the Messiah is because Jesus looks just like everybody else. So that's the first day of the Gospel of John. The second day is verses 29 to 34. That's the first part of our Gospel reading. And that's where John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. Then the third day of John is verses 35 to 42. That's when John's disciples follow Jesus. That's the second part of of our Gospel lesson for this week. Day four, then, the fourth day of John's gospel is verses 43 through 51. And there Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and he calls Philip and Nathanael to follow him. That's the end of chapter one. And then chapter two begins that on the third day, Jesus is invited to the wedding at Cana. Now, that's the third day after the fourth day in John 1. Hang with me here. Inclusively, that's fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. So the wedding at Cana takes place on the sixth day of John's gospel. It begins, it takes, it's the sixth day of John's gospel, and it's the third day after the first four days. And so now we have these these kind of twin themes of the sixth day and the third day at the wedding at Cana. And so this creation theme continues. In Genesis chapter 2, we find that God rested on the seventh day because he finished all of creation on day six. There's a six-day tie-in. When God gave the law at Mount Sinai... He revealed his glory on the third day in Exodus 19, verse 16. And according to ancient Jewish writings, he gave the law on the sixth day. One more important third day of the Old Testament, and that is when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice Isaac, He lifted up his eyes and saw the place of sacrifice on the third day of their journey in Genesis chapter 22. So when John teases us at the start of 2 verse 1 that that the wedding of Cana happens on the third day uh, and also on the sixth day at the same time, he's he's kind of giving us some some Old Testament teasers there because as, as God created Adam on the sixth day of creation, Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam who comes to recreate us by dying in our place and and, and forgiving our sins. As Abraham 
sacrificed, nearly sacrificed Isaac on the third day of their journey. Now Jesus is the new Isaac. And where Abraham's only son Isaac was spared by by a because God provided a, a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, um, Jesus is not spared, though he is the only begotten son of God, because he is the ram. He is the lamb of God who is given to die for the sins of the world. And as God showed his glory at Sinai on the third day, we read in John chapter 2 that Jesus shows his glory by changing water into wine at Cana. So we have uh, we have the start of John divided into days to uh, to kind of keep that creation theme going, and then John kind of uses some some numbers there to remind us that that Jesus is the new Adam, um, he is the new Isaac who is sacrificed for us, he is the new Sinai, how God reveals his glory um, now to save us by his own suffering and death. Kind of an interesting background. Um, back to then the gospel reading for this day. And this is, uh, again, begins with John 1 verse 29. So this is the second day of, of, um, of John's gospel. Now, if there's a parallel here to the first week of creation in Genesis, and, and there's really probably not, but... Um, in Genesis chapter 1, on the second day of creation, God separated from the, the waters from the waters and created this expanse called heaven. So God is, is, is forming creation out of water. And, and here in, um, in John, on this second day, um, John will relate, um, he, will, he, will, he will speak of, of Jesus' baptism by water and the Holy Spirit, which took place previously. So, so not a great connection there, but both, both involve water and creation at least, at least a little bit. More on that in a second. But we read the next day, the second day of John's recorded gospel, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John has his John the Baptist has his own group of disciples and it's really quite possible maybe even probable that Jesus has been among them before he is revealed so as as John has been preaching that the Messiah is coming the Messiah has been standing there in that crowd for a while and remember in in um in the preceding verses, when when John is asked if he is in fact the Christ, John says, "No, but he he stands among you." And again, nobody knows who Jesus is until John identifies him in this first verse of our gospel reading. He sees Jesus coming toward him, and he outs him as the Messiah. He says, "Behold." the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there's so much to this verse. The Messiah has come. The Christ has finally appeared. The one who will deliver his people. And what does John call him? Not mighty conqueror. Not the lion of the tribe of Judah. Instead, he calls him the Lamb of God. 
And what are lambs good for? Lambs are good for getting sacrificed. So when John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God, that instantly brings to mind the thought of the Passover lamb. In fact, throughout John's gospel, the Passover is mentioned no less than 18 times, either as the the Passover specifically or as the feast. And so the Passover is kind of this underlying theme of John that is always underlying what's going on because Jesus is the... uh, the final Passover lamb, the lamb who's offered in our place for our sins. And so as Luther says in his great Easter hymn, um, Christ Jesus lay in death's dark bands. He has that phrase in one of the verses, see his blood now marks our door. Faith points to a death passes over and Satan cannot harm us. Alleluia. Um, So as, as John calls Jesus the lamb of God, the the theme of the Passover lamb being sacrificed so that we are delivered from sin and death, that, that, that theme leaps to our minds. But that's not the only one. We also have the sacrifice of Isaac. And again, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his only son of the promise. And at the last minute, God spares Abraham's only son by providing a ram whose horns are caught in a thicket. It's almost as if that ram is is crowned with thorns, as it were. Um, and, And Isaac's near sacrifice points also to Jesus, who is not just the only begotten son of God, but he's also the ram caught in the thicket. He's also the lamb who is sacrificed in Isaac's place, the lamb who is sacrificed in our place too. When John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, it brings to mind not just the Passover lamb and the near sacrifice of Isaac, but also Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, where the one who bears our sins and and, and our afflictions to the cross, and we we, we consider him stricken, smitten, and afflicted, In that passage in Isaiah 53, he's described as a lamb led to the slaughter. So, as soon as Jesus appears, when John the Baptist first points him out and identifies him, John announces that the Christ has come to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice will take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist doesn't say he takes away the sins, plural, of the world, but sin, meaning all sinfulness. Um, He comes to take away the curse of sin, our sins, and all their consequences, and all that goes with sin. Jesus comes to take it away by his sacrifice. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, says John. And he goes on to say, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So with these words, after me, comes a man who ranks before me. That, of course, means that John the Baptist starts preaching before Jesus makes himself known, but it's also a hint that Jesus is, in fact, 
a disciple of John the Baptist for a while, and he, he follows him. He comes after him before he makes himself known. And John declares that he has come to make Jesus known and reveal him to Israel. And this Israel here is the New Testament church. It's the Israel of faith. It's all who will believe in Jesus. Those are, are the ones to whom um, Jesus is truly revealed. And I mean that, of course, um, not in the Calvinistic sense that, that God only saves some, but rather God reveals Jesus to all, but those who, to those who grasp him by faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit, they're the ones to, who, who really know who Jesus is, who really trust who Jesus is. Uh, John the Baptist goes on and bears more witness in verse 32 and says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on him. This is a reference to Jesus' baptism, which um, happened before this day. Um, it might have happened the day before or, or in days before um, this, this one. It's interesting, though, because on the first day of creation in Genesis, you have the Spirit hovering above the waters as God starts uh, going about creation. And here on day one or before day one of John's gospel, the Spirit descends upon Jesus. So you have that creation theme once again, as the Spirit hovered over the waters at creation. So the Spirit um, descends upon Jesus as he comes to make us new creations. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, says, says John. I would remind you also of after the flood, when creation is renewed, um, it's a dove that brings back an olive branch to say that there is still life, that God is faithful to his promises. John the Baptist says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit remains upon Jesus because there is no sin that makes, makes that incompatible. There is no sin, that, so the Holy Spirit dwells with Jesus, the sinless Son of God. And now Jesus will baptize with water and the Holy Spirit. So with this, John the Baptist, his work is done really. Um, Jesus has appeared. Um, John is the last Old Testament prophet pointing to Jesus. Now Jesus has come. And now that Jesus has come and will baptize with the Holy Spirit, John's baptism is also fulfilled. And now Jesus will baptize or, or call for baptism with the Holy Spirit instead. John goes on to say, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So, in these first days of John's narrative, Jesus is identified as the Christ. He's identified as the Son of God. And he's identified as the Lamb of God, who gives up his life to save, save us from our sin. So, from the very beginning, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come to sacrifice himself, that sacrifice is made 
And then after the resurrection, in John chapter 20, verse 30, we read, of course, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, so John the Baptist declares, this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Christ, the Son of God. And near the end of John's gospel, the evangelist John says, Now you know, these things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe that and have life in his name. All right, the second half of our gospel reading then is verse 35. The next day, where we read, The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So if the disciples are going to follow Jesus instead of John, they know they are going after one who is is destined for death, destined for sacrifice. That is why he is there. The two disciples heard John the Baptist say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Now, this is the first time that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. We find in the Gospels that it's good to pay attention to his first words because they set a tone, a theme for the rest of the Gospel. So here, when Jesus asks these disciples, what are you seeking? His words extend to us as well. What are you seeking? Um, It's interesting, too, in in first century uh, Judaism, seeking takes on the technical sense of, of searching the scriptures. So when when Jesus turns to them, when the word made flesh turns them and says, what are you seeking? He is asking them, what are you searching for in the word of God? And Jesus really inquires of us the same thing. What are you seeking? What sort of savior are you looking for? Is it the one proclaimed here in this gospel of John? Do you and I look to find the savior who saves by his suffering and death? In the second half of verse 38, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And that's a significant question too, not just where can we find you, but with whom does the Lord abide? Will he abide with the disciples? May they stay with him. He says, come and come and you will see. Um, And keep in mind as well that later on, As Jesus comforts the disciples before his death in John 14, verse 2, he tells them, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So ultimately, where does the Lamb of God stay? Risen from the dead? He's enthroned in heaven. Can we abide there with him? Yes, he prepares a place for us there. In the meantime, in verse 39, he says, Come and you will see. We read, So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So now that Andrew has followed the Lamb of God, follows him because he is proclaimed to be the one who will die as a sacrifice, he goes to Simon Peter, his brother, and says, We found the Christ. Not who you expect. He's a sacrifice. He'll, he'll, he'll be the Christ by dying, but he is in fact the Messiah. So our, our reading ends with this marvelous little bit of, of evangelism that Andrew, who f- has followed Jesus, now goes to his brother and says, We found the Messiah. Come and see him for yourself. So here, from the very start, Jesus is revealed as the Christ, the Son of God, and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by sacrifice. And within this text, we have um, the disciples asking, where are you staying? In other words, where can you be found? And Jesus saying, come and see. In our present day, again, Jesus asks us, what are you seeking? And by faith we respond, we seek Jesus who died for our sins. And if we are to ask, and where does the Lord abide? Where can we find him? We find him in his word. We find him in his sacraments. And so at the Lord's Supper, before we receive his body and blood, we sing... To recognize his presence, O Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. And he does. Now a quick look at the Old Testament reading for the week. This is Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 7. It could have been Isaiah 53. That's the servant song where Jesus bears our our afflictions to the cross and our sins. And we consider him stricken, smitten, and afflicted like a lamb led to slaughter. Um, But this is a different servant song from Isaiah. The second one in a series in in the prophet's book. And it begins like this, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. All right, so it begins, listen to me, O coastlands, and remembering that the Israelites never actually conquered the uh, the coastlands um, of the promised land. This is a hint right away that, that this message is not just for the people of Jerusalem, but it's also for those who are scattered, uh, the Jews who are scattered throughout other nations, and we'll find out it's for the Gentiles of other nations too. Then we have the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. And this, of course, is reminiscent of, of say, the angel visiting Joseph and saying that, uh, that um, the child that Mary carries is, 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 
is of the Lord and you will call his name Jesus. Um, and, and then we have um, as well that, um, that this servant, this prophecy, in this prophecy, Jesus is, is hidden in God's hand which has a couple of comforts for us. One is that uh, if he is hidden in God's hand, he enjoys God's favor and protection. Also, he is hidden in that he is he is unassuming. He doesn't stand out in a crowd. Remember in, in John chapter 1, the Messiah is standing in the crowd of people and nobody knows that he's the Messiah until John points him out and says, Behold the Lamb of God. So he is God's servant. He, uh, he is unassuming. And God says of him, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Now, if you remember last week when we saw the, uh, the baptism of Jesus in, in, in the gospel of Matthew, God declared Jesus to be his beloved son. And sure enough, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God's only begotten Son from eternity. But also what God meant was, you are taking the place of my beloved Son, Old Testament Israel, because you will atone for all the sins of my chosen people in the Old Testament. And that goes right along with what God says in Isaiah 49, verse 3 of the suffering servant. He says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. You're going to take the place of my rebellious people and I will be glorified in you because you will do my will. And in doing so, you will redeem my people. What is the Messiah's work like? I mean, this is the time of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, who, who has defeated even the Babylonian Empire and who's conquering people left and right. Will God's Messiah conquer in the same way? Well, we already have a hint that it will be different because in, in verse 2, God has given him the sharp sword of his mouth. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. And so the Messiah's work will not be bloodshed with, with, with violent weapons. Rather, he will do his work by speaking his holy word. And as he is hidden in God, his work will appear to be useless. We read in verse 4, the servant says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. So the servant laments as, as do the prophets and, and, and as, do, as do many pastors. All my labor seems to be in vain because nobody, it seems, turns and repents and trusts in the word of God. But even if that is the case, even if all turn against the servant and have him crucified, what's his comfort? Surely my right is with the Lord. And if all the world opposes the Messiah, the Messiah still is faithful to God's will. If all the world oppose the church, we still want to be faithful to God's word as well. The text continues, and now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, 
For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here we have the mission of the servant to gather and restore God's people, Israel, but not the, the, um, the family tree of Abraham alone, but rather all who trust in the Savior, be they Jew or Gentile, for the Lord makes him a light to the nations. And then our text concludes with verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So in this final verse... The servant of God, the Redeemer, the Holy One of God, whose mission is to gather all nations to the Lord, as he completes his mission, says God, he is deeply despised, and he is abhorred by the nation. And this, of course, is a prophecy that Jesus will save by his suffering and death on the cross. By his blood being shed will the nations be redeemed. And that final verse is what ties this Old Testament reading so marvelously into the gospel lesson for this week. John declares that Jesus will save by being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his sacrifice. He declares him to be the Christ and the Son of God. And here in Isaiah, Jesus is the servant, the Redeemer, the Holy One of God. And he saves by being despised and abhorred, and sacrificed. But because he dies, and because he is risen again, all who by the work of the Holy Spirit trust in him have eternal life. And as God chose his Son to be the Savior, now in Christ God chooses you to be his holy people. And that is a great epiphany. All right, that concludes our quick look at the Gospel and Old Testament readings for this upcoming Sunday, the second Sunday of Epiphany. God bless you as you meditate upon this text more. God grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in His peace. Amen.